What if I told you there was less oxygen in the ocean than there used to be? That's today's big question, and my guest is Dr. Dawn Wright, or as many in the ocean community know her, Deep Sea Dawn. Dawn Wright is an elected member of both the National Academy of Sciences and the National Academy of Engineering. She's the chief scientist at ESRI, where she works with other scientists to map the ocean floor in 3D. In 2018, when I was just a baby podcaster, when Brian was my co-host, I saw a headline about the ocean that made me question a lot. I knew the oceans were heating up. I was beginning to understand, I think we were all beginning to understand, just how much global heating the oceans had absorbed over the years. But I didn't know what that meant for the billions of creatures that call the ocean home. I didn't know what it meant for us. So I called Dawn. We got her on the phone. And in celebration of Dawn's return to the show next week, I wanted to replay this incredible conversation we had with her to better understand how far we've come. Now, forgive me again, it's very early in the show, uh, but it's a wonderful conversation and, and, and I learned a lot and I think you can learn a lot too. So welcome back to Important Not Important. Again, if you're new, my name is Quinn Emmett and this is Science for People Who Give a Shit. In these weekly conversations, I take a deep dive. Back then, Brian and I took a deep dive together with an incredible human like Dawn, working on the front lines of the future, on the ocean, on the ocean floor, to build a radically better today and tomorrow for everyone. Along the way in these conversations, you'll discover tips, strategies, stories you can use to get involved and to make the world a better place, a safer place, a healthier place for everyone this time. A reminder, you can reach me for questions, for guest suggestions, feedback at questions at importantnotimportant.com. Our guest today is Dr. Dawn Wright, and together we're going to discuss how the ocean uh, seems to be running, uh, maybe not running out of oxygen, but losing at uh, somewhat of a rapid pace, and that's probably not great. Uh, Dawn, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. <laughs> for, we, for sure. Uh, I love your enthusiasm. Love your enthusiasm, especially on the second try. We had some technical issues here, but we're <laughs> we're working through them. Dawn, uh, Deep Sea Dawn, as, you, as your website says, and you just told us that whole story. Uh, tell us real quick who you are and what you do. So I am the chief scientist of uh, ESRI, which also stands for the Environmental Systems Research Institute. Uh, ESRI is a geographic information system company. Uh, a lot of people translate that to mapping, but also with uh, analytics in the background. So we uh, often say that uh, it's like Google Google Maps or Google Earth on steroids. Whoa. Uh, we, we provide maps for all of the world's major uh, governments for about 7,000 uh, universities, about 350,000 organizations worldwide, including a lot of environmental nonprofits. And uh, we love what we do. Uh, we have environmental conservation and planet stewardship at the core of our mission. And uh, working for this company has been just wonderful for me because as the chief scientist, my job is to help strengthen the scientific foundations for uh, the software that our company builds and for the services and uh, 
projects and activities that we're involved in with all of our customers. And then I also represent Esri to the scientific community. So I don't do sales or marketing. I'm still an academic. So my role there is to represent us to the National Academy of Sciences uh, on various boards and councils, such as with uh, Conservation International. Uh, I work with a lot of universities and research labs on special R&D projects. And uh, it's just a, a fabulous, fabulous job. I work uh, directly under the CEO of the company and serve as his uh, science strategist. And then in my spare time, I'm also maintaining my faculty appointment at Oregon State University. I was at Oregon State University as a professor of geography and oceanography for 17 years before being lured uh, to the other <laughs> side uh, into industry. So so that's what I'm doing at the moment. Any, anything else? Some... Yeah, is there, I mean, it feels like uh, anything else you're doing in your spare, spare time? I mean, Well, I'm trying to raise this uh, one-year-old golden retriever puppy and yes. trying to, to ride my road and mountain bike to keep my sanity. Uh, I Yeah, keeping whatever the thing is that makes you, especially someone like you, maybe you specifically keeping your sanity is very helpful to everyone. <laughs> yeah, please don't stop that. Um, yeah. And I, I tell you, and this always sounds creepy when we say it, but in, in doing our research on, on, on you and your work ahead of time, I feel like I could go on on the list of awards and honors and things uh, you have and the firsts you have accomplished. But I don't think we have quite enough time here uh, to go over all of those because we're only recording for an oh, hour. No, but... no, no, please don't. That just keeps me off the streets at night. It keeps me out of trouble. Just keep my head down and work as hard as possible uh, for the planet and for other people. And that's the important thing. Well, I will. I would like to at some point come back to the fact that on, on your Wikipedia I mentioned you were the first African-American female to dive to the ocean floor in the deep sea submersible Alv Alvin. And I would love to hear about that at some point because that just sounds... Incredible. Um, the gist I gathered is basically you mapped the ocean. From what, from what I get. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's surprising. I have a Wikipedia page, so that's kind of nice. But that's yes, gotta be cool. Um, yeah. The 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 mapping of the ocean. This is. Uh, a, some of us talk about grand challenges. Mm -hmm. This is still one of our grandest uh, endeavors. We do not know enough about our planet. We look to the stars and we dream about going to Mars and back to the moon, and that is fantastic. But we don't have the same level of understanding of our own home planet. And a lot of that has to do because of the difficulty in mapping our home planet. Our home planet is a water planet. The satellites cannot see through the water. So we have to still get out onto that water and into that water with sound waves mainly uh, to, to map it. And so many of us are on a mission to get the oceans mapped at the same level of detail as um, a standard hiking map that you would take to a national park or uh, the map that you have on your phone that gets you through your, the traffic in the morning, uh, those maps have a certain level of detail that allow us to understand where we are and to predict even where we should go. And we don't have that same level of understanding for the oceans. It's absolutely uh, unbelievable when you think about it, but it's mm -hmm. true. And it's also tied to uh, this issue of, of oxygen in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, I'm, I'm, I I can't even comprehend the amount of work and effort yeah, and understanding what? that must uh, that must go into that. It's a pretty small percentage of the ocean that's been mapped currently, right? Yes. Yeah, so now, if we're talking about 
a resolution or level of detail. We do have all of the ocean floor, for instance, mapped, but it's very, very coarse. Now, if we're talking again about that same level of detail as a a map to your, your local state park or your national park, we only have about 15% of the ocean floor uh, and about maybe 5% of the the water, we call it the water column. Only those small percentages are mapped at that level of detail. And uh, there is an an initiative that's afoot called Seabed 2030 that is trying to rectify the ocean floor mapping problem by the year 2030. Wow. And that's if we're still around, which would just be great. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <laughs> if we don't run out of air to breathe, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. All right. So we're going to start moving towards that here. Yeah. So yeah. I'm let's, sure people uh... are going, I'm sorry, could you just, uh, <laughs> if you could just answer that question, that'd be great. Let's, uh, we'll start getting into it here. Um, uh, so Don, we, uh, we are all about action oriented questions here um, because we are living in a time that calls for uh action uh yeah uh, so uh we'll set up some context like we've been and like we uh said we would um and then we'll start figuring out uh you know why uh what's happening is happening what if uh we were doing this instead would that be helpful would that be harmful um and how can we how can we make a dent uh uh, and help you if that sounds okay Mm -hmm. all right yeah um so don we we start with one pretty important question here something to to really introduce you to our folks. But instead of saying, tell us your life story, we like to ask, Don, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Wow, didn't see that one coming. Uh, (laughs) I don't see myself as vital to the survival of the species. I don't look at it that way. Uh, I look at it in terms of all of us are vital together. Uh, I don't think any one, well, there's always the the adage that one person can make a difference, and that's true. But I think especially today where we are so divided, speaking just for about the United States, we are Mm -hmm. so partisan, we're so tribal that we uh, we must come together for the survival of the species. We must not just be singular. You know, I'm important. I'm going to be the one to make the difference all alone. I think we have to uh, link arms and work on things together. So I would just like to be seen as a team member, uh, someone who is um, in the canoe with the oar along with everybody else, and together that canoe is going forward. I think that's a, a wonderful and humble answer. To be clear, I would like you to have the oars and to be in charge yeah, of all of it. you could just have the oars. That would be, be great. <laughs> and you just, you just tell us what to do, basically. That would be super helpful. All right, so let's put together a little context here. Um, again, please tell me all the ways I'm wrong here, and Brian's going to ask a lot of questions. Um, and maybe Don will still be here when we finish. Um, okay, so getting into the oxy- oxygen question, um, <clears throat> one of the things that makes uh, Earth so unique is is photosynthesis. Uh, it's what made this whole life experiment possible from from soup to nuts, as I understand it, for, because from that came oxygen, which is the only thing really keeping us going. It's part of uh, one of the things we're actually looking for in all these exoplanets um, that we're searching out as we try to find either a Earth 2.0 or a backup plan or, or an escape hatch, whichever way you want to mm-hmm. see it, or if somebody else is out there. So uh, you might have thought that maybe fish uh, breathe water. Uh, 
no fish breathe oxygen sure I they re- that at some point yeah at some point what like tuesday yeah right so today uh but fifth that fish actually uh breathe oxygen by removing it from the water the the gills are uh the little slits on the side and the inside of those are full of blood vessels the fish sucks in the water brian and then they push it out through the gills and the water passes over the walls of the gills uh like kevin costner in in, in yeah, water world and the and the dissolved oxygen moves into the blood and travels to the fish cells. It's it's pretty wild, that is right? Insane. Cool. On, on the list of super powers I wish I had, that would be pretty pretty cool. Does Aquaman have those? <sighs> well, we've got to, yeah, Aquaman, I, I, I can't wait for that movie to come out because we're going to find out a lot about what, <laughs> yeah. what the deal is with Aquaman. Yeah, yeah, He's looking forward to it. I feel like they could have called you on that one for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, this, you're doing great because you, you're getting into the heavy biology. My, my background is in geology. Yeah, well, I, I want to, so, um, yeah, I want to, I want to, I wanted to sort of paint the picture of why that's important and sort of where we're going. Because obviously everybody knows that humans, well, maybe not everybody, uh, people in 1600 Pennsylvania know we uh, breathe oxygen. But uh, to take it back, uh, Brian, we look at the Mesozoic era. Mesozoic, mm-hmm. Right? Sure, yep. Uh, <laughs> About 250, 66 to be accurate, million years ago, dinosaurs, right? Everyone thinks it's totally fine. We've talked about that before. It's a great stretch, super long, longer than anybody remembers. Dinosaurs are all around. Everything was great until the asteroid went boom-ish. Turns out, a bunch of scientists think that about 93, 94 million years ago, a shit ton of carbon dioxide came up from the bottom of the ocean, possibly because of certain vents and the continents shifting. Uh, The Earth got a hell of a lot hotter. The seas rose, oxygen got sucked out of the water all over, uh, and super dope dinosaur fish like the Ichthyosaurus. I can I can never pronounce Ooh. that right. Yeah, that's a tough one. Ichthyosaurus. Uh, Ichthyosaurus, uh, which had been swimming them. along for 150 million years before that. Keep in mind, humans have been around for about 300,000, yeah. right? Uh, they're just snuffed out. So it's believed the entire continental shelf was snuffed out. So, you know, the continental shelf is the parts all along the continents before it drops off into the abyss, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And why that matters is because 90% of today's commercial fish and selfish live on that shelf, 90%. right? 90%. Uh, so dead zones everywhere. All How long did that period last? Uh, they're guessing about half a million years. So today, uh, dead zones seem to be proliferating um, and not in a great way. Um, some estimates say the ocean's lost 2% of its oxygen in the last uh, 50 years, I think. Uh, warm water just has less oxygen. And is that, that doesn't like sound like a lot to like, oh, 2%, but is that, that's probably a huge deal. 2% of, 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 of our oceans on a water yeah, world yeah, yeah, essentially yeah. is right, not great. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure uh, I got a number of things wrong there, but we've talked about the ocean in a lot of different ways from the Atlantic invading the Arctic and what the warming mm-hmm. water is doing there, the salt levels, what it's doing to... Uh, fishing, what it's doing to, uh, you know, the lobster industry, what it's doing on the policy side, things like this. But I want to get into this specific thing because I know, uh, Dawn, this is something you're working heavily on. I would like uh, to get a primer because, as again, from what I understand, you are in charge of the ocean. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, Dawn, (laughs) well, (laughs) too bad. Uh, Dawn, (laughs) why the hell is the ocean running out of oxygen this time? And is that bad? So the ocean, uh, I, I think you, you've set the stage uh, very nicely there in terms of Earth history. And if we're fast forwarding to the present, 
we have got, uh, so the ocean is always facing these pressures and the ocean is always making up for what's happening on land when mm-hmm. you think about it, because this whole climate change thing with um, too many greenhouse gases being in the atmosphere as a result of the cars that we drive and the mm-hmm. uh, all of the, uh, the industry, the pollution that we're putting into the atmosphere, the ocean is playing a big role in absorbing that uh, those excess uh, gases. And when you absorb excess uh, gases like that, uh, that's where the ocean acidification problem is coming from. Hopefully, your listeners have heard by now of ocean acidification because scientists, we scientists have been talking about that as a clear and present danger for, for quite some time now, maybe at least about 10 years. Let's let's pause for a second and assume maybe they haven't or they weren't paying attention as closely. Could you just tell us what that is in a couple sentences? What's going on? So so simply if we if there's too much carbon dioxide Uh, which is a greenhouse gas or methane that's in the atmosphere. The oceans absorb that, and that makes the acidity of the oceans, it makes the ocean more acid. Mm -hmm. So, What are the ramifications of that? And so the ramifications, if you, you nobody wants to be in an acid anything, right? Acid rain, acid rain is a bad deal. If you've got, if the ocean waters are too acidic, uh, the coral reefs are going to be in danger. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to pretty much put everything uh, out of balance uh, in the oceans. But uh, but most of us can relate to coral reefs because mm-hmm. we've either seen pictures of them or we've actually visited them as scuba divers or snorkelers. Mm-hmm. And we don't want those beautiful structures to dissolve. We don't want all of the, the fish and the, the invertebrates, all of the the plants, everything that depends on that ecosystem to go away. Uh, some of us are still uh, looking for cures for cancer and and other uh, maladies. I think uh, peanut butter is spreadable because of a, a bioalgae that uh, comes from a coral reef ecosystem. You know, really what? important wait, what? things in life. That's yeah, no, no, no. That's, you just hit on my look. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? What? <laughs> we get all kinds of amazing things wow. from the ocean. And uh, one of the things that I, I told my introductory oceanography class once is that we've got spreadable peanut butter because of a uh, bio. <sighs> now, you'll have to I'll have to double check on this later, but I'm pretty oh, sure I'm going to be double case. checking on it. Yeah. <laughs> but the, there are all kinds of uh, important resources that wow. we get from from the ocean. So if. If the oceans are in danger from uh, acidification, then that's going to affect all of us. Which they are, right? Which they are. But the other big problem is the uh, the lack of oxygen. Yeah. So, so talk to us about what's going on here. So oxygen is produced in the ocean in large part because of photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. So we know about photosynthesis. I think it's the most wonderful chemical equation uh, in all of science, if I could be so bold. Yeah, please uh, be. Because it's, uh, that's, and, and as kids in school, we learn about photosynthesis from plants. In, in, in the ocean, there are billions and trillions of small plants in the ocean that are called phytoplankton. And they are producing uh, ocean as uh, oxygen as they photosynthesize. They take water and they take that carbon dioxide. They take the sun's energy and they take the nutrients, the good old vitamin, vitamin pills that are in the ocean, and they produce the uh, carbohydrates uh, and they produce oxygen from that, from that process. 
So that is benefiting all of us because more than half of the oxygen that we breathe comes from that process taking place in the ocean as well wow. as the uh, the mixture of oxygen uh, from uh, the we call it the air sea interface at the surface of the ocean all of that beautiful wave action we know about the wave action that we see on shore with surfing and body surfing and so forth but that's happening all across the ocean all across the oceans of the world so uh, all of the, that process is is constantly producing oxygen and it actually contributes to what every single one of us breathes every single day. So a lot of people think that, well, the, uh, you know, I live in Colorado or I live in Utah and uh, the oceans are cool, but that's not really going to affect me. I live in the interior. You know, I don't see the ocean every day, right, uh, right. but, but what is happening in the ocean is affecting you no matter where you live. Now the ocean is, a is facing another pressure. So it, there's the ocean acidification, but there's also the big word deoxygenation or the reduction of uh, oxygen, mainly because of disruptions in the ecosystem and the nutrient cycles of our friends, the phytoplanktons, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the nice little uh, plants uh, in the oceans that do so much for us. Mm -hmm. They are affected by pollution. We hear a lot about plastics and sewage outfalls mm -hmm. and all kinds of horrible things going on in the ocean to pollute it. That throws the phytoplankton and all the fish out of balance that, that messes with them. Then we've got uh, turmoil in the ocean from trawling and dredging and drilling and mining, fishing. Mm -hmm. All of these are, are putting uh, pressures on these uh, processes that help to produce uh, the oxygen that mm -hmm. we breathe. So this is uh, there was a paper that came out in in Science magazine or Science Journal uh, earlier this year that gives a great review. It's it's pretty it's pretty much in the weeds because it was in Science <laughs> Science's sure. one of the leading journals of the day. It's mm -hmm. it's sort of like uh, the Washington Post or the New York Times for the scientific community. And uh, these uh, authors, Breitberg and her colleagues, point out uh, all of these uh, pressures on the ocean. Uh, they give us some real data, some great graphics. And they also point out that the oxygen is not only dropping in the oceans, throughout all the oceans, but it's dropping faster than can be accounted for uh, by regular uh, physics. Oh, good. Physics processes. So when you're talking about the fish breathing, uh, the respiration uh, in the oceans, that is certainly the case. There's a lot of that respiration, desperate breathing going on in the ocean. Mm -hmm. uh, but a good portion of that might be uh, in the microbes. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the microbes that live not only on the surface, but throughout all or a good portion of the depths of the oceans. So this gets back to our lack of understanding of the oceans. We don't know enough uh, about the microbes uh, down in the oceans. And we need to find out more about them because the changes that are happening in the oceans are are happening pretty fast. 
uh, we can't just sit around and debate whether or not things are real, like whether or not climate change is, re is real. These things are real. They are happening. It's because of us. And we've got to get down to the business of finding solutions. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that my my company really likes to do is to work with research uh, institutes, uh, especially where they need support or collaboration in mapping. So the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution is trying to find out what's happening with microbes and fish in the twilight zone of the ocean, mm -hmm. which is this critical zone that's just beneath the surface. And it's a, a place in the ocean that we we really don't know that much about. It's from the surface down to about 600 or 1,000 feet or so. We tend to focus on the surface. And my community, we're trying to map the ocean floor. Mm -hmm. There's a whole heck of a lot mm -hmm. uh, in between that we don't know. And if I could interrupt, I actually learned about the Twilight Zone. There is a uh, There are kids' illustrated books and now a cartoon uh, called the Octonauts. Oh, uh, oh I've heard yeah. of them. Uh, <laughs> which are, it is the best. Uh, and my children know infinitely more. They should be the one uh, talking to you right now <laughs> because all they do is it's this team of, uh, of, of land and mostly land animals that go around uh, and they speak in, in British accents and they go around helping other <laughs> uh, animals underwater and they have the coolest submarines and it's basically all I want to do is a career. Uh, and uh, there's a penguin and a polar bear and an octopus. And they're always in the twilight zone or the midnight zone. And and yeah, I, I swear to God, I hadn't heard of half this stuff. And now I, again, I feel like I can almost hold up with my oh. kids on it because. Oh, that is fantastic. But I, I, I feel honestly feel like between Octonauts and, and Planet Earth and uh, the, the ocean one, I'm totally blanking on it. The, the show? Yeah, the oh Jesus it just came out. Earth's oh yeah, I don't know. No, there's it's pl there's planet well, blue Earth. planet blue planet blue planet blue planet, planet. yeah blue planet yeah. um and my kids just watch the three of those like on repeat and it's incredible. Hey everyone, it's Quinn, your host and the founder of Important Not Important. I'd like to take a quick minute to tell you about the INI or any whatever we're calling it these days membership, and community. It's a gathering place, really, for our most dedicated shit givers. A place to connect and learn from one another and to have access to me outside of the newsletter and this podcast. We started it last year, and it's grown to hundreds of shit givers from all kinds, from around the globe. I'm talking about teachers and investors, students, electricians, journalists, artists, scientists, and policymakers, and, and more. Members get exclusive access to our daily news homepage, which is very cool, and to much more top-of-mind weekly articles, research, and tools that you can use and to stay ahead of the game, member-sourced action steps, twice-monthly book and culture recommendations that have nothing to do with the end of the world, virtual events, and of course, the membership Slack channel. Look, so many people come to us asking, what can I do? And we think we do a pretty good job of answering that question and providing context for the answer. But the best answers and the best perspective really come from the community, a wide-ranging community. And we would love for you to be a part of it, to feel supported yourself, and to contribute to discussions and actions alike. And of course, by becoming a member, you're directly supporting our work here and ensuring that we get to keep 
doing it. So if you'd like to learn more, head to importantnotimportant.com. And if you're already a reader, you can just hit the upgrade button at the top. If you're not, go ahead and subscribe for free and you'll see the option to become a member at whatever level works best for you. And as always, you can always find the link to become a member right in your show notes. So thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for giving a shit. Back to the show. But yes, uh, yeah, it's, it is fascinating how much is out there that we don't, that know. We don't know. I hope you, I hope you work with somebody named like Tammy or Teresa so we can keep the fun nicknames going. Deep Sea Dawn and maybe like a Twilight Tammy. Yeah. Be the next person <laughs> sure. who yeah. 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 That's Federation. Good addition, Terrific. Brian. Well, Thank I, you. I have the, the pleasure of working with her deepness herself, <laughs> Sylvia Earle. That's I mean, Sylvia no, Earle. Sylvia. Yeah. She takes it way back. She is a hero. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, she is the one of the primary people trying to raise the awareness of this issue of the decreasing oxygen in the oceans. And uh, she and I uh, wrote a, a little article together, and she also led a group of us uh, in writing a letter to science responding to the Breitberg article about this is not just an art, another great article that's published in science. This is really, really important. This sure. is something that we have to take action on. So, so let me back up for a second here. When did you, you all uh, first realize what the hell was going on here? Well, I think a lot, uh, and to be honest, full disclosure, I'm not an ocean biogeochemist or an uh -huh. ocean biologist. Though these are the heroes who are actually working with these data. Mm -hmm. My expertise is uh, on the bottom mm -hmm. with the uh, the structure. So, for instance, uh, I am very keyed into the recent earthquake and tsunami. Right, in right, Indonesia pretty devastating. That's that gets down to my expertise in terms of how that the seafloor there ruptured and shifted. Right. And caused that uh, horrific tsunami. I think they're up to uh, like 1,234 yeah. dead. I, At any rate, the, the the scientists who have been working with these data have sounded the alarm call for. I, I'd say it's been at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. But but uh, there have been scientists who have been looking at oxygen levels in the ocean uh, forever. Really, the very first comprehensive global assessment of chemistry in the ocean took place in 1872 with the expedition of the Challenger. Uh, the British started off with this and they, uh, the, the HMS Challenger went around all of the world's oceans and took uh, some of the uh, critical measurements uh, of ocean characteristics, even ocean uh, depth at that time. So I would say it mm -hmm. started it really with that 1872 to 1876 expedition. When I was in school uh, in oceanography, our chemistry professor said, I want you guys to read the reports of the Challenger expedition. Mm -hmm. I want you really understand the shoulders uh, the, of giants that you are standing on sure. and what you're adding to. But in terms of the, the recent climate change crisis, mm -hmm. I'd say in the least, uh, at least the last 10 years, uh, we've been talking about this and trying to communicate this, but it, uh, it has only come to the fore, uh, I would say, 
with the Trump administration and uh, the the horror that they are. I don't want to get too political here, but it's been out and out. Attack <laughs> oh, no, I'll say it. It's a fucking science. nightmare. Yeah. 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 Can we start it? Maybe this is the question, but how do we know? How how are we able to know and and measure like what has what happened millions and millions of years ago down there? I feel like on on land we've got fossils and and mm-hmm. old and old white senators, uh, <laughs> or we can see where the asteroids hit. Right there, there's yeah. craters, you know, uh, the Yucatan. But how do we know when an ocean was warm and when it wasn't, and how it, and how it killed things off? And I guess how does that apply to what you guys have figured out over the past ten years? Yeah, we have got the the equivalent in the oceans through deep sea cores. So, could, could you explain cores? those? So, yes. Yeah, so there's there's tons of there's uh so these little creatures that live in the oceans, including the the phytoplankton, but certainly the the little animals, uh, the little shrimpies and the what what we call the zooplankton, zooplankton. Sure. They, mm-hmm. they uh, after a while they uh, die and they're their shells and their carcasses settle to the ocean floor and become part of the sediment. Mm-hmm. And over uh, millions of years, we have got uh, wonderful records of what has happened in the past from these sediments and also from uh, uh, the rocks on the seafloor. So we can punch a hole through these sediments and we can bring out uh, a long sample of them. So it's similar to drilling for oil. In fact, Ocean drilling is going on as we speak. Uh, there are scientific drilling vessels. Mm-hmm. One, there's one that I worked on for about three years as a technician, and it was basically like a Gulf of Mexico oil and gas uh, drilling vessel, which drills for oil uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. But this particular vessel or ship. It's called the Joides Resolution. Mm-hmm. It's called, think of it as the Resolution. It was named after one of Captain Cook's ships. Mm-hmm. And uh, this ship uses that same technology. It's got a drilling uh, a tower mm-hmm. in the middle of it. Uh, it's called a drilling derrick so that you can put together long pieces of pipe and lower that pipe uh, down to the seafloor. The pipe at the very end of it has the, the, the toothed uh, drilling uh, apparatus or, mm-hmm. or machinery on it so that it can drill down through the sediment. As the drill goes into the ocean floor, uh, the sediment is collected into a plastic sheath, and that, that is the core. So you've got, when you bring that core up to the to the surface and split it open and look at it, you've got a beautiful uh, record of all of the uh, events uh, the deposition of different types of fossils through time uh, in that core. And that's really how we can get uh, the, the history uh, of what mm-hmm. happened in the ocean, in the ocean water. It's so fascinating to me because I, I guess I just, it sounds like the exact same thing that they're doing with the ice uh, in the North and the South and that they're yes. trying to do on Mars. Of course, drilling always makes me think of uh, Armageddon. Um, yes. <laughs> but but I guess for some reason I thought it would be different in the ocean, I guess either because the pressure is so great or because maybe you would dissipate differently with the water. But I guess these are animals that were built to live and uh, in, in, in survive in the water. So I guess their their remains would be different or or the floor. But that's so fascinating that it's it's really the sort of the same methodology. Yeah, it's the same idea like the uh, the scientists who are drilling 
for cores of ice. Mm -hmm. And then they're looking at the composition of ancient air in the bubbles in that ice. It's the same thing. These are the moments where I look at Brian and go, Brian, if someone told you to go to go find ancient air, yeah, ancient where air. would you start? <laughs> mm-hmm. How does this? I uh, oh, can't believe that that's a thing. No, it's just like the, 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 Dawn is another one of these folks that feels like she's using 5% of her brain to talk to us. Right, right, right. Oh, and, no. And no, we appreciate it, Dawn. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the hardest things, another a movement that's going on now is science communication. And one of the mm-hmm. hardest things to do is to uh, take what we do uh, in our area of specialty and then to describe it to other, just to describe it to each other, sure. like as a, uh, some very uh, skilled biologists and chemists have described to us geologists what they do, and we describe mm-hmm. to them what we do. It's all for the, it, it's all part of the ocean, but we, we all have different languages, the jargon and so forth. And then to take that and to describe how important this is to a congressman or, or sure. a senator right. or sure. to to the mayor of your town, or I use my mom. If my mom, my mom now can understand uh, maps and uh, GIS, geographic information systems. Mm -hmm. She said the word overlay the other day. I was like, yeah, (laughs) mom. She knows about spatial statistics. I was like, yeah. Oh, nice. That's impressive. That's awesome. Yeah, you want to hang with your mom. You can have a whole brain full (laughs) of knowledge. Brian, how would you, what language would you use to describe what we do? I mean, you just say I have a podcast. I yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. That's all we have to say. That's all you have to say. Everybody knows podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. All right. So we know. So, you know, what did you tell us? The ocean is absorbing way too many uh, greenhouse gases, becoming acidic. Uh, we've got um, a, a bunch of oxygen, oxygen that we're not getting anymore. And and we've talked on the podcast before uh, about the oceans uh, getting warmer and being warmer uh, and, and how that leads to drastic sea level rise in Already. San Francisco and New Orleans and Miami and a million other places, very sadly, and uh, how fish and lobsters are migrating north. Uh, away from where they traditionally should be. What are like the real ramifications of this? Right. And and what are we doing about it? One of the real ramifications is that uh, real estate is disappearing. So I was at a, a conference recently. It was it was one of the events at the the Global Climate Action Summit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Governor uh, Brown mm-hmm. had this amazing meeting trying to mobilize, yeah, trying to mobilize especially state and local government leaders to move forward despite the U.S. being yanked out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Mm-hmm. But there were tons of other parallel meetings going on, and I was at one where uh, there was a group of us, we were at a do fest, and it was about not just I'm sorry, what? talking it's called. It was called a do fest. Oh, like do, like do, like do, yeah, do, ah, do like something, it. come up with solutions. I like it. Get together and work together and network and let's do something mm-hmm. about these problems. But one of the ramifications for sea level rise is that, as I was saying, real estate will disappear. And a speaker, a wonderful speaker, she's uh, in charge of the climate action really at Conservation International. She showed a picture of uh, one of the islands in the Mal- the Maldives in the mm-hmm. Indian Ocean. And uh, the, the capital city there is on this very small island. There's really no more room for them to build anything. Mm-hmm. And with sea level rising, that is that real estate is going to disappear. They have nowhere to go. They can't run up to the mountains. Their, their island 
Sure. is very is very young. It's uh, fairly fairly flat. It's all been developed and built. So as the sea level rises and encroaches and floods, they have nowhere to go. They mm-hmm. they have to they're going to have to leave at some point. And this is a big problem for uh, the small island uh, nations in the Pacific and the uh, Indian Ocean. So that's one huge consequence. Your home disappears. Right. The, from from from. You know, it seems so sci-fi and, and drastic when people say, hey, we need to start thinking about the places we're very tragically going to have to walk away from. Um, yeah. And in, it's very easy to focus in the U.S. on New York and Miami and and, and New Orleans or, uh, but, you know, again, that whole chain, uh, Indonesia is just, that they're like, hey, we're already starting. Right. You know, this is, oh, this yeah. is happening. Yeah. Um, it's pretty incredible. So... What about the warming, the oxygen issues specifically? What are the big ramifications for that for, for I guess, the continental shelf and, and I guess, marine and geologic? So, the, uh, so these fish do need oxygen. Uh, we do have our, our fisheries that we do rely on that's really big for the economy of, of our country and for many countries. And uh, we, we don't want to see fish die-offs. You know, one of the things about uh, Florence, for instance, one of my colleagues, uh, Marshall Shepard, who uh, is a great atmospheric science and geography professor at the University of Georgia, he uh, shared this picture on Twitter uh, of the the floodwaters of Florence having receded, and there were tons of dead fish littering the highway. I saw that. And we could have a similar type of phenomenon uh, mm-hmm. in the oceans with, if you don't have enough oxygen to breathe, you're going to die. Fish sure. do need that oxygen to breathe in the water as you've already described so nicely. So uh, we don't want to lose our, our fisheries uh, in that way. Everything is related in sort of a virtuous cycle in nature. And so if one part of it is out of whack the rest of it is going to be affected. So even the way that we go through our normal cycles during the day, if we're not getting enough sleep, we're going to have a hard time concentrating, doing our work. Uh, we're not going to be able to to carry through with the whole cycle of our activities and our responsibilities right. if one thing is out of balance. So it goes to a whole host of, of problems uh, that we so we've talked about sea level rise and ocean acidification, uh, pollution, uh, the quality of water is going to decrease because mm-hmm. if we've got a whole bunch of dead things in the water, mm-hmm. that's that's going to make for nasty water. We'll have uh, coral bleaching, right. you know, all, all kinds of things, habitat destruction, loss of biodiversity. It's, it's all uh, species that are not supposed to be there. You talked about the fish species that are moving sure. north because of the warmer water. Some of these species are, are uh, invasive or, or harmful. Mm-hmm. So it's just everything just gets crazy out of whack. You know, I, I, I'm trying to dive a little deeper. One of our, our first guests uh, who, who I couldn't have more respect for, mostly because uh, both because of her work and also she just tells me I'm wrong all the time, is uh, you, you oh, might know her, yeah. uh, Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson. Oh, I just had the pleasure of meeting her finally. We've been oh, cool. stalking each other on social media and we finally got to meet at this wow. do fest. Oh nice. Yeah, <laughs> she is she is awesome She's and awesome. so smart yeah. and she uh and some other folks uh have been trying to 
against all odds, educate me on the ocean stuff as much as I can from all fronts. <laughs> and yeah, she also, uh, and some other folks pointed me towards, uh, Paul Greenberg's books, uh, for fish and American catch. And I guess there's a new one, the Omega principle, just talking about why we chose the wildlife, uh, in the ocean we did to eat and how that's changing because of overfishing mm. and, and now how that is changing with the warming and the migrations and the lack of the bottom of the food chain and, and things like that. And Again, just I'm, I'm trying to get a more comprehensive viewpoint because, like you said, when we asked about the ramifications and you listed a hundred things, it's not just like, "Hey, the lobsters are moving north." It's this yeah. again a theme we run into a lot is uh, all this Everything shit is connected. is connected. So, Don, let's say you're in charge of the whole shebang, as it's very clear you should be. Yeah. Uh, what is the first most impactful thing you would do? And I know this is a ridiculous question because there's a million things to do to alter our course. So the very first thing I would do is to talk about this, talk about what you've learned uh, with with your friends, with your family. Mm -hmm. I was struck by another colleague of mine, Catherine Hayhoe. And by the way, oh, we've never um, heard of her. No, no, Brian's none of, kidding. None of we've literally had her. so many guests recommend her and we are we are trying to get it scheduled. But she seems like just uh you know, the the chosen one. We got to figure well, out. Yeah, she, uh, she should be in charge of uh, everything, the, oceans, <laughs> the atmosphere. She and Marshall Shepard and John Foley and Jacqueline Gill and Alan Townsend and I are in this new super group. Film series, uh, Let Science Speak, mm -hmm. the, the film series. Anyway, she said that about 75 percent of Americans don't hear people talk about these issues. Interesting. 75% uh, of Americans don't hear people talking about climate change more than once or twice a year. Wow. And we face the same problem. I mean, climate change is an atmospheric problem, but it's also an ocean problem. And many of us, like like Ayana, uh, we, we are just trying to get people to understand mm -hmm. uh, and then to talk about it among yourselves. Certainly talk about it to your government officials where it affects your where. Sure affects your community. But the more we are, are like the way that we talk about movies or sure. about uh, football uh -huh. games and you learn through that and sure. you, uh, you, you're enriched by that. Uh, and it's the same thing with these issues. Sure. So the very first thing we can do is to spread the word and talk about it. I love that. I love that. And it's, it, it reminds me of how incredibly inexcusable it was that climate change was not uh, questioned or brought up once in the 2016 yep. presidential debates. Um, I mean, that's insane. Not yes. once, and this, uh, which this is insane. This is the danger. This is the huge danger because it wasn't even on the the on people's radar. It wasn't on the radar sure. screen of our leaders. They didn't even care enough to bring it up. And right. our lives absolutely depend on this. And look what look what's happening. Yeah. Further, the reason one of the reasons why we have this let science speak. Uh, film series, why we were involved in this is because mm -hmm. scientists are being censored at the EPA. Uh, they can't even use the language or the words yeah. climate change. It's absolutely insane. It's really like the, uh, well, the earth is flat. You know, you may as well right. be on that side, you know, saying that the earth is flat. <laughs> It's not, by the way, just for all our listeners it's out there, not. it's not flat. You, 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 and the and your supergroup partners that you just mentioned in the Let Science Speak group. What, what, what are the biggest obstacles that you that you got, that you all run into when you're when you're trying to get people to understand this stuff and you're trying to get people to listen to you and talk about it like they talk about football? Why isn't it happening? 
Well, a lot of people, for them, uh, you can uh, tell them as many scientific facts right. as as you as you can, but for them, it's very emotional. For for some people, it's a religious issue. Uh, for some people, uh, they they don't like what the they don't want to face what the implications are that they're going to have to yeah. change lifestyles or that they uh, suddenly may not be uh, in power, perhaps, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that uh, they think that that they're being told what to do. Mm -hmm. Some of us have received Now, I have thankfully have never received death threats, but Catherine Hayhoe can uh, can Ugh. tell you all about that. Uh, it's it's absolutely insane. But Why? that's one of the things that that we do touch on in the Let Science Speak uh, series, and each of those films is only about five minutes long. But th oh. but those are the those are the issues uh, I found uh, that if you tell some. Well, with the oceans, I think it's a little easier because there's so much about the ocean that people, many people have not experienced. I mean, we all look up at the sky. We all know when it's a hot day or when there's a, a storm. I mean, we all experience that, but not all of us have experienced swimming in the ocean or diving to the ocean floor, or it was only until about 20 years ago or so that we, we actually saw the first, we actually witnessed the first volcanic eruption mm -hmm. uh, on the ocean floor. So the ocean is still a mystery wow. sure. to so many people. And when you peel back the mystery and tell them ab about what's going on, uh, I, I found that it's, they, they really like that. It's like listening to yeah. a science fiction story, although it's not fiction. Right. right. So there's a, there's a little bit more, people are a bit more receptive, but that that's just been in my experience. Sure. Uh, I think the, the most important thing is that we all have their problems that we can solve together. Mm -hmm. So with the ocean pollution problem, I think everybody's starting to get on board now with plastic. Mm -hmm. we we've got too much plastic on the planet. We've got too much plastic in the oceans. It's choking the oceans. It's poisoning the oceans. It's poisoning us. And some very simple things like Starbucks now. When I go to Starbucks, I take my glass straw with me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, to uh, use their straws. Starbucks is slowly going to come around and they're, they're not going to produce plastic straws. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very simple things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think for people who are not as familiar with the oceans, they need to, to find a way to get to the water. Sure. And yeah. you know, visit yeah. visit a blue park, sure. Uh, visit a uh, national seashore, sure. And you get some fantastic vacation time out of it. Yeah, so, two birds. Yeah. yeah, right. So it does, and it's under it's understandable in some ways, especially for the people in the middle that may, literally maybe never visited the ocean because they can't afford to, because it's hard to travel or they don't have time to. So I can understand sometimes when it's one of those issues that can seem sort of large can seem fairly impenetrable. You know, that's a trouble with a lot of the ocean issues is, is for a lot of folks either can't or don't really see or touch or feel them very often. And unless it's, you know, litter on a beach and you, you, you've just gone into this quite a bit, which is get out there and touch and see and feel the ocean and, and, and engage and have conversations. But are there other specific ways our, our listeners can help fight this issue to specifically to support and amplify 
your mission? Are there are there particular places they can donate to or they should learn from, et cetera, et cetera? You know, websites on on down. Yes, so I, I can I can give you a whole list of them. Let's so do it. Uh, so uh, one so Sylvia Earl, uh, she has her Mission Blue Alliance, and her her mission is to raise awareness. So uh, they they do a fantastic job on so many levels, but I think one of their most effective ways is to help people to to talk about these issues and then to take action with partners, partners such as uh, the the National Geographic and others. But there are uh, so I'll name the Algalita Marine Research and Education uh, okay. Coalition because they are all about uh, removing uh, plastic reducing pollution, especially plastic, in the ocean. And they also are connected with the Save the Albatross Coalition. Mm-hmm. So so this is about helping to reduce uh, plastic in the oceans, particularly uh, to save marine life, mm-hmm. uh, seabirds, and so forth. But it's, it's, it's saving the seabirds, but it's saving us uh, in the in the process. Uh, Every single aquarium has a fantastic public outreach, but also uh, they're doing a lot of work. They save uh, marine uh, mammals. They uh, help us to reduce uh, pollution. So any of these uh, wonderful aquariums where I live, the Aquarium of the Pacific Mm -hmm. is uh, an aquarium that I support and get involved in. Uh, There is the Oregon Coast Aquarium. There's the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I've been to Monterey Bay. It's a stunning yeah. aquarium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're wonderful places. You can enjoy yourself, but they also do a lot of fantastic uh, research and uh, activism and outreach and solution, solution finding. Another great one is the Marine Conservation Institute. Uh, you can find all of these uh, organizations uh, on the web. And then there, I think for us at Esri, we are supplying these organizations with mapping technology because one of the best ways that you can, aside from watching the Blue Planet series and Mm -hmm. the Octonauts, Mm -hmm. is to uh, explore uh, with a map, especially if you don't live near an ocean. Mm -hmm. But we have uh, apps that allow you to do that from your phone or from your tablet. And you can you can get you can see the actual data. You can see images. Uh, one of the uh, apps that we have is called the Ecological Marine Units Explorer, which helps you to you can actually explore one of 52 million measurements in the ocean of dissolved oxygen, or salinity, or temperature, or these nutrients. You can see how these are changing from the surface down to the uh, ocean floor. And you can use this to uh, educate yourself uh, about what is physically happening uh, to the oceans. So these are just some of the things. Yeah, no, I love it. And we're going to put all of those in the in the yeah. show notes as well. It really seems like in light of the fact that nobody, you know, as obviously, you know, I think it comes back to uh, stop emissions uh, and we'll stop acidifying the, the oceans. 
And obviously do what you can. You know, we recommend uh, checking out Project Drawdown for for that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, but because uh, that is a contributor. And again, the ocean has always and continues to take the brunt of of those things and has clearly just about had enough. But uh, it does sound like education is uh, educating yourself and, and just being in, in, in touch with the ocean, whether it's whether it's watching these things or like you said, uh, going to an aquarium, supporting an aquarium, learning from their programs, taking your kids, and then just going yourself in mm-hmm. some way. Those things should hopefully uh, give you a better connection to to what is out there and what's happening. Even if you can't feel the water warmer or right. or or see the phytoplankton that are suffering, uh, at least you at least you can experience what is out there and what is what is at risk. And I think it's so awesome that your your kids are into the octonauts. You know, the, the children can't, can't recommend move. octonauts enough. I gotta watch <laughs> octonauts. It's it's we're gonna have I like a to. class session. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on. Uh, you can find it on iTunes or Netflix. It's it's so great. There's I just want it to be my job. Oh boy, I need to check check into that. I'm currently into building remotely operated vehicles and ships out of Lego toys. When? When are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, wait, hold on. Oh, I've, I've got five kits in my, wow. in my Lego building room that I need to get to, but I'm working on a ship in a bottle right now. It's awesome. Holy cow. <laughs> it's so much fun. God, I just want to hang out so bad. <laughs> um, That's incredible. What big actionable steps can can we be uh, 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 doing what, 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 what questions should we be asking of our, of our representatives? Specifically, yes, like we, we like to send people, like if they're going to work with fivecalls.org or something right. like, and actually talk to them, what, what are the questions they should be asking? And I know it changes depending on where you are, but. Yeah. The, the idea of, of uh, carbon credits, mm-hmm. looking into, looking into, into that issue, looking at maintaining uh, the current legislation uh, for, because one of the things that we're, we're faced with right now is that the, uh, the current administration wants to roll back uh, protections mm-hmm. uh, that are already in place for uh, marine protected areas uh, offshore and for our marine parks. So we need, they need to stand firm and not let that happen, not let that go away. Uh, there's the Magnuson Stevenson uh, Fisheries Act that helps keep us uh, in check in terms of of our uh, fisheries and maintaining the essential habitats. It helps us to we we take fish from the ocean, but it has to be uh, sustainable, and so that's what the Magnuson Stevens Fisheries uh, Conservation Act is about. So the, these things we we're we're making we we also had a national uh, ocean policy mm-hmm. uh, that is has fallen by the the wayside uh, perhaps all of these things that we were making such good progress and right. and then and then we yeah. uh, we're either stopping or we're we're rolling back. Yeah, I think I think this week uh, the rollbacks included mercury. And something else. And did I, I, I literally thought walking home, oh, the next thing's going to be asbestos. But didn't they do that? Yeah, I think that, yeah. A few months ago? Yes. Which is just like, is this like a, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know, like a satire. It's insane to me. Anyways. And the fuel emission standards for our cars. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, the federal back. government wants to, wants to roll that back. We, we can't do that. Right. Uh. Yeah. It's not an <laughs> option anymore. All right. Well, 
this has been fantastic so far. Yeah. Uh, we've kept you for about an hour and we really, really appreciate it. So who else do you feel like we should talk to? And again, it doesn't have to be ocean. Uh, it doesn't have to be climate. Just can be someone out there who's doing something really cool and impactful that's either really good or trying to defend against the apocalypse that you recommend. You don't have to answer now. You can always email us later. But people you think that'd be a great conversationalist on, on something like that uh, that you think our listeners would love to hear from and support. Sylvia Earle is her certainly uh, her deepness. Yeah, sure. Uh, she she is always a, a great person to to talk to, but there there's so many there's so many others. In fact, Sylvia Earle's daughter, uh, Liz Taylor, I don't think we hear enough from her. She uh, I would recommend her as a really cool person to to talk to. So Liz is the CEO of uh, the company that. Uh, Sylvia founded called Deep Ocean Exploration and Research, mm-hmm. and they they build uh, these terrific vehicles to explore and to save the ocean. Wait, is she an is she an is she an octonaut? <laughs> well, I, I would say so. Yeah. Oh God, it's awesome. And uh, she is a great person to talk to. She uh, is all in for not only exploring the ocean, but saving the planet, being a good steward of the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we don't hear enough from her. I think from from Liz okay. Taylor. Awesome. So if she if she's willing to, I think she would be a, a fresh new voice for your your podcast and just an an awesome person. Awesome. And yeah, as always, uh, and I think we mentioned this before, I don't know, offline or not, but definitely anyone, uh, ladies are always, uh, yeah. I would just say preferred at this point, uh, especially ladies or, or people of color, because we want to try to amplify those voices as much as we can, especially since we're two white guys. Well, another, another great uh, person, and I'm just trying to, Claudia Benitez Nelson. Okay. Oh my gosh, she is a force of nature. She is a wow. professor of, um, she's a, a, a chemist, mm-hmm. uh, an ocean chemist. She's a professor at the university of South Carolina. Okay. And she would be a fantastic person to, to talk to on your podcast. Awesome. Rock and roll. Thank you. Well, anyone else you ever think of, uh, please let us know for sure. Sure. Yeah. If you look up, uh, Claudia Benitez, Nelson, that Liz Taylor, she may be a little harder to look up uh, on on the web, which I think is a shame. She these women should have Wikipedia uh, articles, sure. the whole nine yards. But I think we can get that going, right? Aren't yeah. they just user yeah, generated? I, I yeah, Brian yeah, will do that today. I'll send you I'm their, their direct contact. <laughs> awesome, yeah, yeah, that would be great. That'd be yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, all right, Don. Well, we we have a little bit of a lightning round of questions here. If, if you're if you're up to it. Last oh, thing. sure. Yeah. Um, so Dawn, uh, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? It was, uh, my eighth year on the planet, eight years old. That was okay. a big year because that was the year. In fact, I'm going to see first man when it comes out, but Neil Armstrong, oh, yes. uh, when he, uh, stepped on the moon, that Apollo 11 mission, uh, I became a person of faith, a Christian that year. Uh, I learned how to body surf. I was doing well. I mean, that was the year. That's a big so, year. Of course you did that all that at big, eight years that old. That was a big year. Yeah. I think so I was still I sucking think, my thumb. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I decided to to be an oceanographer that year. I mean, it all wow. came together. All That's, came together. 
That's that's so cool. Don, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? In the past six months, I would mm-hmm. still I would have to say it's my mother. My mother has impacted my work through my entire life. So my mother would be number one. Uh, number two would be my boss, uh, Jack Dangerman. Uh, he continues to uh, amaze all of us. So Jack Dangerman is the CEO and founder of Esri. His last name is Dangerman. Dangerman. Like the, yeah, he's the danger man. Oh, yeah, God, deep sea dawn danger. I mean, I, <laughs> it's a it's awesome. a Dutch name. Uh-huh. He one of the things that has blown uh, just about everybody away is that he and his wife have purchased. 24,000 acres of the last best wild place on the California coast, saving it from developers, saving it from another Trump golf course, and gifting it to the Nature Conservancy so that it can be preserved. That's wow. awesome. It's, it's safe. Where, where is now. that? On the coast of California somewhere? It's on the coast of California, sort of the, the central coast north of Santa Barbara. Oh, yeah. It's so right beautiful there. Point Conception. Yeah, wow. it was the... It's it's south of the Vandenberg Air Force Base, and uh, this story has made so many of us, uh, given so many of us hope. Not only did they preserve and protect this, and you know, this is, a, he's the CEO of a software company, but he is all in uh, for into doing, as he says, going big with this and protecting the planet trying to reverse the loss of biodiversity, doing his part before it's too late. And that has been such uh, a boost to all of us. And it's certainly in the last six months, it has really given me a a shot in the arm. (laughs) A glimmer of hope. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I love it. That's excellent. Uh, You mentioned, I think, uh, mountain, mountain biking or bike riding, but what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? I assume maybe that. Yeah, I love to get on the the road bike or the mountain bike and just be uh, away uh, free on the bike. I don't like having, uh, I have a phone with me for safety, but Mm -hmm. uh, people are getting into checking social media or doing stuff while they're on rides or while they're recreating i i'm i'm not into I think that while they're doing ev- everything yeah oh, everything. I'll, I'll have uh, music but that that's it yeah and then i love going to to the movies and just getting lost in the story i love being uh, outside with my spending time with my a puppy uh and i love building the legos those are the oh, those are the main so good so I love good. it. I, I definitely have uh, somewhere in this office a box of the Lego uh, Saturn V that came out this year that I have not touched oh, yet because my yeah. child demands I let him do it with me. <laughs> and I'm trying to have one thing to myself. That is awesome. Yeah. Don, how do you consume the news? Mainly through NPR. Okay. Uh, NPRs every morning. Uh, I listen to NPR. And then uh, I get a lot of news through uh, Twitter. And uh, mainly from from the web. Uh, my mom watches a lot of CNN. So when I'm uh, she, uh, I'm her primary caregiver now. So when mm-hmm. I'm with her, she's got CNN on. So there's no escape there. But <laughs> I, I would say uh, NPR, NPR, and uh, sometimes I'm up in the wee hours of the night because I'm a night owl. Mm-hmm. And the BBC news will come on, and oh, I really sure. love. 
the the BBC and the other international outlets because you find out what's going on in the world besides what Trump has tweeted or besides what's going on with our dysfunctional uh, government. Yep. Uh, in fact, it's really irking me right now that we're not hearing enough about the big tsunami in Indonesia. Everything is about the Kavanaugh hearings. And, yeah, pretty wild. Uh, I can't, I'm having a hard time filtering properly to getting a, a, a proper perspective. Sure. There are other things happening in the world. It's uh, yeah. sh- so much else happening. Uh, Brian, ask your favorite question. Sure. Speaking of old Trumpy, um, Don, if you could Amazon Prime him one book, what would it be? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is a really good question. And we have, had, we have had the full run yeah. uh, on recommendations. And, and for clarification, uh, what we did is uh, we created an Amazon wish list of all the books our guests have recommended, and our listeners can and do go there and click on the books, and it gets sent straight to the White House. So, whatever you think, anything. The first thing that comes to mind is the Little Prince. It's very, it's very simple. It's got a, a beautiful story about friendship and kindness. And I think our president could use, I don't know whether anything can reach him. I really don't. But that that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind. That is one of my favorites. And I think that is like the third or, or yeah, at fourth least third. person that has, uh, that's, yeah. Recommended Damn, that's that a good one. Dawn, uh, this has been tremendous. Where can our listeners uh, follow you online? So they can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. My handles are all the same. Deep Sea Dawn. Mm, really embraced that nickname, huh? Love yeah. it. Just went yeah, for it. Yeah, I just gave up and went for it, and it's got a minimum number of characters. So sure. it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's perfect. So there, there, there it is. Yeah. I, had a, I got a nickname when I was in college, but I'm not going to say what it was. No, we don't have to go into that right now. <laughs> Brian's good. He can just call me nope, Brian. Let's just go, Brian. Brian. Um, and then I, I promised you a, a quick dog story. So, oh, yes. yeah. Very so during important. my years at Oregon State, I had this amazing dog. Her name was Lydia, and she was in all of my classes, you know, all of the classes I had to lecture in and the field mm-hmm. trips oh, she, she I took with? students on. She was in, she was in faculty meetings. Wow. She uh, just became our departmental dog. And she was the most awesome dog. Uh, she died in 2009, mm-hmm. but now uh, she affected so many students and faculty that we had the financial resources to create the Lydia Departmental Dog Memorial Fund at Oregon State University is for students in geography and marine resource management and water resources. And the money from that fund helps students to travel to meetings and become better stewards of the planet, better oceanographers, better geographers, and better water resource management professionals. Oh, come on. How cool is that? So So wild. So proud of of Lydia, the wonder dog. Oh, that is, dogs are Perfect. We don't deserve them. I did. (laughs) That reminds me, I want to come back to tell me about taking the Alvin to the bottom of the seafloor. Oh, that's a whole nother podcast, but boy, oh, the yeah. Al- give me the short version. Cause I, 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 maybe we will record a whole nother one, but I, I'm desperate to hear about that. Oh, it, it is. Uh, oftentimes it's uh, when you're in Alvin or a similar submersible, it's like inner space. It's not outer space. It's sure. inner space. It is, uh, I found it to be wonderfully uh, quiet, mysterious, because as you drop through that twilight zone mm-hmm. and there's less and less light and then it becomes pitch black. Mm-hmm. But, oh my God, but, it sounds so scary. But what, you, but what you don't expect is the fire show, the fire fireworks, because of all of the uh, 
bioluminescent critters in the mm-hmm. water column. Mm-hmm. Uh, that where I went in the in the uh, Eastern Pacific, there were bioluminescent siphonophores. I'm like sorry, little, no. Little worms okay. in the in the water. How far and down? They would, and they would uh, they would so this was beneath this this was getting to be about a thousand. Uh, meters depth or about 3,000 feet. But, but we went down to a a mile and a half. Holy shit. I can't believe you were in that thing. (laughs) Just beneath, uh, beneath that twilight zone, we saw these little critters bumping into each other. And as they bumped into each other, there were little flashes of light. So you, you were falling a fire fireworks show. Like uh, thousands of them all around you. Yeah, I would say hundreds of them uh, oh, yeah. within the, wow. the darkness of the ocean. Unbelievable. Un- beautiful. Oh, that is that so is, wild. Yeah, that is the coolest. How many How many people can fit in? Is this thing really big, this Alvin? Uh, no, Alvin is, uh, is not very big. It has the capacity for three people. Oh, yeah, okay. Wow. So it's uh, one pilot and two observers. Just insane. That That's incredible. incredible. I went out on my friend's submarine. Uh, for two days, and I felt like that was an accomplishment. I think we were thirty feet underwater because <laughs> deeper. That's that's impressive. All right, well, listen, we're gonna let you go. Wow. Uh, I I I could totally listen to that all day. She is an octonaut, so that's great. Yeah, we yeah, met well, yeah. finally. <laughs> Don, thank you for all you've done. Thank, thank you, so you for much. all you're doing. Thank you for coming and chatting with us today, um, and educating us on all this and and what we can uh, do to help wherever we can. Thank you. And, uh, oh, this please, has been so much fun. Thank you. Please just send me 50 pictures of your puppy. That would be great. <laughs> okay. Uh, Instagram. And, <laughs> Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm on it. I will be the guy stalking you. Um, thank you, Don. We will, uh, we will talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Have awesome. a great day. Thank Have a great you. day. Take care. Thanks for listening to the show. A reminder, you can send feedback or questions about this episode or some guest recommendations to me at questions at importantnotimportant.com. Links to anything we talked about today are in your show notes in your podcast player. If you want to rep any or your shit giver status, you can find sustainable t-shirts, hoodies, and a variety of coffee delivery vessels in our store at importantnotimportant.com store. You can subscribe to our critically acclaimed weekly newsletter for free at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Our theme music was composed by Tim Blaine. The show was edited by Anthony Luciani, and the whole episode was produced by Willow Beck. We'll see you next time.